Right, well, hey, we get to start a new series this morning. I'm glad you're excited now. I don't know where you'll be in the next four weeks, but we're going to go after uh, some content here in the scripture. We're going to uh, define this word here, which is a Greek word, teleos. It's uh, the Greek word for mature in the New Testament. Um, simply, uh, in its definition, it means to grow up. We're off to a great start, aren't we? <laughs> We're off to a great start. It means to grow up, guys. It means to mature. Um, luckily for us, Paul talks a great deal about this particular subject. Um, and we thought the word teleos would be fitting to name a series other than like mature or grow up. That just maybe not, I don't know, might, might be very appealing. But essentially, this is what it means. Uh, turn with me briefly to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse 13, we're going to read a couple verses. Put your finger in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'll just read while you're turning there. Ephesians 4, 13 through 15. This will continue until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind or waves and wind of doctrine, by human cunning or by crafty and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him. I love the way the ESV puts it, particularly verse 15, the second half, where he closes his thoughts with we are to grow up in every way. Now I say... And I make mention, if you want to highlight that in your text, it probably would be good. But let's turn briefly, before I get ahead of myself, to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, I use it a lot for my life, and I think about it a lot as I'm growing up myself. Paul says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Someone say, Hallelujah. Come on, somebody who's 50 and above, say hallelujah, because some of us who are older got some more growing to do, right? Come on. Now, in order to be true to both of these texts, and the next text that we'll read in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is referring to growing into the spiritual gifts that God has graced the church with. So I think that's important to say that he's not just mainly talking about a maturity maybe in the soul or in the emotions or in the, the, the psychology or the thinking of some person or whatever, but he's referring to gifts like prophecy, um, speaking in unknown languages, tongues and knowledge, etc. And so we want to be fair to the text and, and go after what, it, what he's really saying. Because I don't want you to read it when you get home and be like, hey, man. My pastor was like telling me to grow up, and Paul's like just saying like grow up in the spiritual gifts that God gives us. What's up with that? First uh, Corinthians uh, fourteen twenty, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. I was a little bit caught up when I heard that. I was like, what do you mean? Uh, but essentially, he's just saying be innocent of evil. You know, um, I, I had a little analogy for that, but I won't use it. This is quite revealing. But uh, he goes on to say, but in your thinking. Be mature. I know some of you are already irritated with me. We're already off to a good start, aren't we? Um, you know, Paul instructs in these two verses 
the Corinthians, he commands, he more than instructs, he commands them to stop thinking childishly, right? Just in chapter 13 and verse 11, Paul remarks that he gave up himself childish ways. Um, and he essentially stresses the point of which is appropriate to live innocent of evil. I love that. I was a little tripped up. I was like, what is he saying? Live innocent of evil. But um, he's just essentially saying, be innocent of any unrighteousness, any evil. Um, but in 1 Corinthians 4.20, uh, we see the Greek word teleos again. It still carries the same meaning, but the text provides another shade, another color of that meaning through its many cross-references. You know, there's an old uh, kind of fundamental principle, and I'm, I'm talking probably to the choir here, um, of biblical interpretation of the scripture is its own best interpreter. Um, it's summed up by the author of the Westminster Confession that the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture is Scripture itself. Uh, so when there's a question about the true scope or full sense of any passage in the Bible, it must be searched and known by other passages in the Scripture that give it its validity, give it its strength. And so I want to take 1 Corinthians 4.20 and kind of... Put it beside Hebrews. Actually, the whole book of Hebrews is going to help us, but particularly um, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 through 14. So we're using the scripture to... Where is my bag? Sorry, this is awkward. I thought I wrote the passage down, but I didn't. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11... Through 14. Now we're using Hebrews to give us more of a clearer explanation of what Paul means. Because we're seeing the word teleos, the Greek word mature, in a different light. We're not Paul's not necessarily connecting this to growing up in the gifts that God enables us through the grace of Christ. You know, the gifts that in his ascension he left with the church. We're, we're going to see this word in a, uh, another way. Okay, verse 11. There is much more I would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially, excuse me, since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. That's a scary thing. I, I want us to look at this portion, this segment of Hebrews, uh, not academically. We, we, we tend to look at scriptures and, and over-contextualize them, you know, with, a, with, with an academic mind. And I'm all for that. I'm, I'm very for that. But not at the sake of watering down the 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 double-edged sword, the, 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 the sword of the word of God cutting between the true and the false in our lives. And so let's not just ascend to these texts in our minds and, you know, is Pastor Della really like, you know, like to the heart of the matter, to the context of the scripture? Um, let's put ourselves in the story. Because in many ways... Hebrews, the Hebrew people that Paul is addressing here, were in a very interesting spot. You know what we find out in Christianity? 
that it basically can be observed or kind of viewed as only having two gears. Most of us in this room teach or treat our walk or our faith like Christianity has three gears. You know, a car. You have many gears in a car. But if you just looked at drive, neutral, and reverse, that's mainly how Christians view and take their walk with the Lord. But in Christianity, we find through the scriptures that Christianity only has two gear. It has a drive and a reverse. Most of us think it has a neutral. We try to make up this way. Maybe I could just do enough to, to get by here. Maybe I could just, maybe I'd just cruise a little bit. There, you are either going forward or you are going backwards. That's the truth of our Christian faith. So we need not to treat it like it has a neutral because it doesn't. And unfortunately, but yet fortunate, in the book of Hebrews, we find this is exactly the state of the church. Now, mind you, these were seasoned believers. Don't be deceived just because you've been walking with the Lord for some time. It means nothing. Don't be deceived by your reputation about what everybody thinks about you. It means nothing. And unfortunately, this church particularly was looking for that neutral zone to just kind of, you know, don't want to go too hard, don't want to go too soft, I just find this middle ground. Now, there is a reason why these people were under a, the, a heavy hand, the heavy hand of persecution. And so because they were uh, being converted to Christianity, they're saying, this is not good. We're being persecuted for becoming Christians. So we got we to gotta either result back to Judaism or we got to get back into a place where we don't uh, directly identify as Christians. And so let's briefly survey the situation in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is said to have more uh, to say about Christian perseverance than any other book in the New Testament. It is written specifically to a group of Christians who are about to quit hanging in there. He's already throwing stuff at me. I'm, I'm really trying, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> Let's take uh, a summary of some of the problems in the book of Hebrews, and you can look at this. We're going to use the first six chapters um, not the whole chapter, but some verses within the first six chapters to really identify the problem here. Um, number one, they are drifting. He, the Hebrew people are drifting. Instead of rowing against the current of sin, um, they're drifting backwards towards destruction. And we're going we're gonna to pull some of these uh, problems out of the Scripture in just a minute. Um, they are neglecting uh, the great salvation and the claim that they have to that salvation. Uh, they're losing their grip uh, on joyful, zealous hope, and they're slipping back. Um, their hearts are hardened to the truth of God's word. Uh, their conversation is losing its spiritual urgency. Let me just hype on that for a little bit. These, again, we're trying to find ourselves within the story. Within, we're trying to find ourselves within are what's happening, particularly in this book, and the, the, the things that the writer is trying to confront within these people. So their conversation is losing spiritual ur urgency. Their ears are getting dull. They're losing their desire to press on to maturity. They're becoming weak and sluggish. And as a result of all this, they're in danger of shrinking back from the beginning they had made in Christ. 
becoming hardened to spiritual things, falling away from the living God, and may I, may I dare say, even losing their very souls. That's the sever, severity, if that's the right word, of what's going on here. So let's take a look at the first six chapters, like I mentioned. Uh, you can start in chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews, verse 1. The writer says this, We must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. They had started to drift with the current of the world, so to speak, instead of rowing upstream toward holiness. Let me say that again. They started drifting with the current of the world instead of rowing upstream into holiness or toward holiness and godliness. What we see here is a sign of the church starting to drift away essentially from the truth. Chapter 3, verse 6 suggests that they are losing a grip on their confidence, uh, their hope in their future. Uh, This is what the writer writes. He says, we are his house if we hold fast our confidence and pride and our hope. So evidently there was a clear and present danger of not holding fast to their confident hope in Christ. Verse 12 and 14 of the same chapter show us again what the danger is. He writes this, Take care, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Their drifting and neglecting and slipping could result in falling away from God. Seasoned Christians, they are not taking care like they should of their spiritual walk. The way they should, how about uh, that uh, for once saved, always saved. We had this kind of argument uh, or this kind of conversation. Are we saved? Are we always saved? Sorry if you believe that theology. But these guys were in danger of losing their salvation. That's, That's... That's the picture that we get. And I'm trying to go through this as quick as we can because there's a lot of content. Verse 3, he writes this, but exhort one another, 13, excuse me, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by your deceitful sin or the deceitfulness of sin. Eventually, their conversation only was about things of the world. Come on, how, how, how many of us can relate? When the only relatable things that we can talk to amongst each other are things like the Patriots, how home is, and what's happening at the office. And we wonder why we don't have revival. But you dull Christians, their main interest in life is just getting home and flipping on that television. I, that, there's a sense of danger in that, friend, if all you can talk about are things of the world. If you know more about pop culture than you do about the culture of heaven, there's a danger in that, friend. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get some of that in here, man. All's will be able, the only point that we'll be able to relate with one another is who won the football game Sunday? Now, if that's not you, fine. If that is, put yourself in the story. You know, we think like, it's, it, you know, we talk big about revival, but we have no idea about the cost of revival. And if we create a culture that is only uh, conducive to 
uh, worldly conversation and how this person's doing. And did you see that? And nothing about God. You can bat your eyes at me. You can sink your head in your seats, friend. We will never see revival. It doesn't matter if you put your little um, things on Facebook and sponsor them. It doesn't matter because you'll get there and your little so-called revival will be as weak and pathetic and not helpful in any way. I want to be helpful. I'm not here, guys, just to play games and to get on with life and try to talk a big talk. I'm saying, God, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm not just wanting to, uh, you know, carry revival like a slogan on my Facebook page. I'm looking to say, God, I will, I will get in the trenches. And that's the culture that we need to build. But unfortunately, here in this particular book, at this particular time, there's too much giving way to just the things of the world. Verse. Now, let me bring ballast. I love football. I don't get a chance to watch it that much. But you guys understand what I'm saying. I love pop culture. I love the latest adult song. Who wouldn't? Her, her vocals are like angelic. But you see, if I make that my main focus, if I, if I just eat at that table, just eat at it. I become dull. I don't even know how to relate to the things of God because I'm not making myself available to God. You know, we have a little slogan. We're trying to get healthy in our home. <laughs> you know, we had Chinese food for New Year's Eve, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, to bring a little balance, I was sipping me some wheatgrass and orange juice, prepping myself for the big Chinese event. That's much like what our Christian life is, but we have too many Christians giving themselves an overdosing on culture. And you can't even have a two-worded conversation about the things of God because your mind is not focused on the things of God. But we talk a big hilltop. We talk a big talk about revival. Guys, we could for the next 20 years talk the same talk and see nothing. Talk. I don't know, I, I grew up in a time, in a generation where my parents always told me that talk is cheap. <laughs> it's cheap. Anyways, I love football, love Chinese food, but we have to balance. We have to find the balance. Now, some of you are looking at me like, is he going to jump me? I'm not going to jump you. <laughs> like, I love you. I do. And that's why I'm talking like I am. I'm not going to be a part of a culture that just mainly knows how to use their mouth. And that, I, mean, I mean, this church. I'm not going to be part of a church that just knows how to talk. And some of you need to feel this. Some of you need to get this because you've been good at talking. You've been good at carrying on like, you know, like everything's well and you just got a good old swag about you. But guys, I, I, my, I, it's time to take it serious. It's time to mature. <laughs> Some of you, you should be teachers already. I just go, why not? I didn't say it. He did. <laughs> the writer of Hebrews did. Some of you should be teaching. You should be discipling people. Well, I am. Well, keep it up. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 1. 
that says, uh, it says that some in the church are in danger of not finishing the race, not getting to heaven, essentially. He says this, while the promise of entering his, his rest remains, let us fear lest any of you be judged uh, to have failed to reach that goal. Um, some had become so negligent, so careless in their spiritual walk. They had no godly fear about them. Um, they were just drifting along, feeling secure, while God's messenger, essentially his writer, we don't know who it is, that's why I just say writer. Some believe it's Paul, some believe it's Apollos, uh, there's a couple other guys they believe it is. I don't, I'm not I'm getting into that, but the writer here is trying to say danger. In many ways, guys, as your pastor, I stand before you this morning. I say danger. (laughs) I'm crying out and saying, guys, it's time to take this thing real. It's time to take your walk with Christ real. It's time to mature. It's time to grow up in our pursuits. Grow up and start putting real um, action, so to speak, to our words Chapter 5, verse 11 says this, About this we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. In their drifting and neglect and carelessness, their spiritual ears had become dull. Um, The Bible was becoming uninteresting to them. Remember, we're we're putting ourselves. we're not seeing this, through an academic lens, we're saying, God, where, where do we find ourselves within these, these, these problems or these, these particular kind of dangers? The Bible had become uninteresting. Their desire for teaching and preaching of God's word was fading. The energy to think and ask questions about the most important questions in the world was slipping away. And in its place was a kind of spiritual sluggishness and insensitivity. Things of the world were becoming more exciting and attractive than the word of God and the greatness of his salvation. Chapter 6, verse 1, suggests that the church had lost its seal to press on in the Christian life to maturity. And that word maturity, or the word that we find in, that, uh, in this chapter and in this verse, is the same Greek word teleos, and It says this, therefore, let us leave elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. The church was beginning to feel that progress to maturity and growth and holiness was optional. It wasn't really necessary. So they were just drifting along on the pass. And while becoming dull in hearing, deceived by sin, They hardened their heart. Again, I got a little ahead of myself earlier when I talked about um, the way I I guess I see it as the Christian kind of walk, the Christian experience has two gears, a forward and a reverse, and you're either in one of those gears today. Um, There are only... Uh, two alternatives for those of us who claim to trust Christ as Savior and Lord. One is to press on to maturity and the knowledge of faith and the hope of holiness. Um, The other is to drift slowly into indifference and dullness and eventually destruction. 
One of the great errors of this church was that they thought there was a halfway point where they could uh, stay, I guess, as professing Christians, not pressing forward, not drifting backward, but there was no such place. There was no neutral zone to kind of just park. Either we press on into the things of God, into our inheritance, or we drift back towards destruction. My question to us this morning is, where are we? We're going to get into a lot of things in regards to this particular um, series. And I want us to ask ourselves the hard questions. Um, You know, I've had to ask myself the hard questions. That's why I stand before you today. I've had to take an inventory. (laughs) I've had to observe my own life. I've had to look at myself in the mirror and say, Daryl, where are you in this thing? Are you just easily using your mouth? Or is there real, real sincerity here? Are you just trying to give the, the appearance? Or is there something where you're allowing me to come into your secret life, Daryl? Where no one's watching you. Where no one's seeing. No one's witnessing. No one's patting you on the back. You know, I look at this as much like a dance. You know, when it comes to growing up, maturing into the things of God, it's a partnership. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a dance that we do with God. And we, we're either saying yes to the dance or we're saying no. It's not just... Some kind of light switch that God, I guess, maybe in your 30s will flip or your 40s will flip. It doesn't happen like that. I know plenty of 50s, 60-year-olds that are still so much in need of growing up into the things of God. I mean, you know, the Bible doesn't make excuses for age saying, oh, well, 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 you can act like this because you're only this age. No, it says don't despise your youth. I know the majority of our students aren't even here, and I'm so disappointed in that because I think they're the main people that need to hear this, um, as well as I am. I love it. Where was I? The Bible doesn't put some kind of clause where you, know, you get to this age and you'll, you'll get over this peak. It, 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 you know, me and my son, for the last uh, couple of days in our Bible studies in the morning, have been studying about the life of Timothy. Here's a young man um, pastoring thousands of people. <laughs> and, and I've just been trying to encourage my son, listen, there, God can use you, Abram, at any age. If you just throw yourself into the dance, Abram, if you open up your heart, Abram, God can use your life and he can do significant things. Significant, powerful things. You don't have to wait, Abram, until your daddy's age. Please don't. Because in many ways, Abram, I, I hindered my potential. I, I stopped dancing at a certain time. You don't have to do that, Abram. Dance with God. Don't despise your youth, Abram. Don't 
Don't look at, at seven years old as being insignificant. Abram, if you open your heart to God, you could be pastoring churches. Guys, we don't just arrive at a point of growing up into the things of God. And we're going to define these things. This is just mainly an introduction. We're going to define some of the things that we need to grow up into. Things like, how do we handle offense? How do we, how do we talk about our brothers and sisters when we're aggravated? How do we uh, handle uh, money? How do, we, how do we actually view giving through the lens of a mature uh, heart where we're not just so apprehensive, if that's the right word, to hold on, but we're able to give because we're trusting God. We're going to talk about areas of submission. Is it really good for me to come and submit myself to the people God puts in my life? Oh, that's going to be a good one. I'm not preaching it. I didn't even bring it up, but I'm glad for it. My man John Cho brought it up, and I'm like, that's some good stuff right there. So we're going to define some of the things that we feel as a young church we need to grow up in. I'm not trying to be hard. There is a certain amount of passion that I have wrapped around this particular um, subject. And I'm counting on God to do the work. If, if you viewed me as being hard, I apologize. Um, you know, the interesting thing that they said about Jesus is uh, something that they marveled about when he spoke was just that he spoke with authority. He, pretty much he spoke differently in his tone than most of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the teachers. They were probably monotone where Jesus was very emotional and loud. And so that what I, that's my fallback. Um, say, what would Jesus do? Hi. <laughs> But are we dancing with God? That's, that's really what I want to bring us to. Are we allowing that, that, that day in, day out dance to take place? Are we letting God um, come in and, 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 and change us in areas and, and, and really opening our hearts? Are, are we just neutral? Are we just in a place of just like, hey, I, 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 I give. I, I go to church like once a month, every Sunday, you know, I, I talk to my pastor when my life is exploding and it's all falling apart. I mean, I do my stuff, you know, are we just cruising? Maybe we're not cruising. Maybe some of us are in reverse. We're going the wrong way. Listen, if you're in reverse, it's not too late. You can shift gears. And that's the desire that we have is that as a church, we be able to shift gears um, and to come out of the place of indifference and neutrality and pursue God wholeheartedly, not just with words, but a heart that's aflamed for Christ. Come on. Can we really do this for another three years without that? I can't do this for another three years without that. I'll pass it off. I'll pass the baton. We're going to create the culture that we want the most in this church, guys. So I'd encourage you, let's jump on this train together and see what God does as we 
um, go into the next couple of weeks talking about maturing into the things of God. Amen? Well, listen, um, 